Aop me duck, which is the traditional Derby greeting to whoever we meet, whenever we meet them. And no, I don't actually know what Aop me duck means, but who cares? Because what matters is that you're here and I'm here for the Art of Brilliance podcast series five, which is just a little bit different. So in this series, there are no guests. It's just you and I making a weekly commitment to 10 minutes or less. That's 10 minutes maximum per week every week for 52 weeks that you and I are committing to a personal relationship based on happiness and well-being. So time is short, let's crack on. Now dear listener, in this episode I'm I'm not absolutely sure that it's going to be tremendously entertaining but I th- think it's a bit deeper than normal. Um, in fact, well, to be fair, they're all fairly deep. Uh, it's just disguised. Uh, my mate JP, our colleague JP, world-class trainer, keynote speaker, just saying, um, he describes us as uh, uh, light-hearted but not lightweight, which is kind of quite important. Thanks, JP. So I'm going to start by talking about the humble sea squirt. Now, it's got a, it has got a, a Latin name that makes it sound really clever. Um, and I did Google that, but then I thought you wouldn't be interested. So the sea squirt, if you live in the UK, you've seen them in rock pools. Um, now, here's a fact, right? The, so the humble sea squirt, it paddles around until it finds a rock. Then it attaches itself and it gets comfy. And when it's comfy and it thinks it's safe, it eats its own brain. All right, this is a fact, right? So its brain is useful in finding something to attach to. But once that bit's done, it doesn't need to think anymore. So it actually eats its own brain, which provides a bit of sustenance so it can hang on to the rock for the rest of its dear life. And I, I can't help thinking, I don't want to be cruel here, but I can't help thinking there might be a human equivalent. People who've settled on their rock, being bombarded against the tide, who've stayed put, even though there might be, there's probably a better rock, a bit higher where the sun might make life a bit more pleasant but and the waves are less intense. But metaphorically, these people have eaten their own brains. All right, now, if I, do, I just want to kind of, convert that to business just for a second because normally I talk about life generally but let's just give it a business slant. There's a very good chance in the organisation that you work for that numbers have been butchered to the point whereby there's no slack in the system so everyone's at full throttle. You know you work in a school or a hospital there is no there is no slack so all that people who kind of talk about feeling amazing at work is that something that you used to remember back up back from 1983 so those good old days when we used to go to the pub at lunchtime those days for most people have gone. Um, and Dolly Parton, you know, working nine to five. Well, she's lucky. That's classes Dolly nowadays as a part-timer. So the other thing about business is not only are they like really, everybody's working super hard, but businesses are mad keen on measuring stuff. Have you noticed? So schools do it. They measure everything. Hospitals do it. Your boss does it. We set up complex systems, record, record customer's feedback, exam results, number of hip operations per week. The lady on the checkout in the supermarket is monitored by the speed with which you bleep your items through. You, know, you may have, may not know that. There's a league table in the supermarket of who's the quickest. And we measure these things because they tell us how efficient we're being. So what we do is we end up getting lots of data which we can look at, which will help us do things faster and better. Oh, we do like a bit of big data in the modern world, don't we? Now, here's the difference with the art of being brilliant. It's my belief that most of the really important things in business actually can't be measured. 
I mean, for example, you try to measure, try measuring, measuring creativity or excitement or commitment or buzz or happiness or confidence or team spirit or love. I'd argue that in business, it's the things that can't be counted that really do count. Now, there's plenty of evidence that employee engagement, right? Remember that word engagement, because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. That's positively related to well-being, attendance, profit, staff turnover, customer satisfaction, even shareholder return, business growth, success, all, all heady stuff, all the things that your business wants. So employee engagement is the starting point, not the ending point of all that. Um, and I know I've covered this before, I'm just going to do it super quick. So it's easier for you to feel great if you're doing a job that you love, obviously. And whether you're engaged in your work depends on whether you view it as a job, a career or a calling. So just quick revision. If you're doing a job, in inverteds, you'll feel it in the pit of your tummy. This is going to work is a chore. You're doing it because it pays the bills. But you've got that feeling of, um, we call, I call it minor glumness, so that feeling in the pit of your stomach when the alarm goes off at stupid o'clock, it's like, oh, here we go again, got to go to work. Now, if you're invested in a career, in inverted, it's still a necessity, you've got the bills to pay, but there's opportunities for success and probably advancement. It's, it's kind of up the evolutionary scale from a job. You're likely to feel you're moving in the right direction. You might be invested in your work, there might be some training, there might be progression, you want to do well. But a calling is the nirvana. This is where the work is the end in itself. So you feel fulfilled, you've got a sense of contribution to a greater good. Work is likely to draw on your personal strengths, gives you meaning, gives you purpose. And whisper it quietly, folks, but it might. You'd probably even do it for free. You wouldn't tell the boss that, but you'd do it for free. And now, the th here's the thing that I looked at in my research, is whether you're engaged in a job, a career, or a calling, actually has less to do with the work than you might imagine. Um, I mean, there's a very famous NASA one, isn't it? Well, there was it Kennedy went to Cape Canaveral uh, to have a look around the Space Center and there was a guy, a caretaker, sweeping the floor and he said, what's your job? And he says, my job is to put a man on the moon, which is which is a bit cheesy and, and well trotted out, probably not even true. But let me give you an example that is absolutely true from my own research. I So remember what I did was I looked at um, engagement in the workplace, people who are flourishing, people who are buzzing, people who are happy and more energetic than average. And... One of my two percenters in my original research actually worked in a call centre. And I would have thought, I would have thought that, well, that's a job, isn't it? Like you're taking calls all day and you're, you're manning a switchboard. It's that kind of thing. And you, and you get, but she actually saw her job as a calling, right? Because it wasn't a normal call centre. It was a call centre. It actually happened to be working for the ambulance service. So every call that she took, that was her purpose, that was her meaning, it was to get it done efficiently and super efficiently that she would save lives. She she was doing a job, but she, I would say it was a job, working in a call centre, but for her in her own head, which is the most important place, it was a calling. So she loved doing it. Okay. Now, turning somebody's job into a calling is very powerful indeed, both for the individual and the organization. And what business leaders have attempted to do is by they buy the consultants in to tell them how to do it. And we work really hard at creating an environment where employees can feel satisfied at work. And in fact, again, back linking back to my research, what I looked at was for pretty much for a hundred years or so, businesses have bent over backwards to measure job satisfaction. That's what we've been aiming at, job satisfaction. But is job, is, is job satisfaction the bullseye or just bull, bull, bull? So let me just for a sentence or two, let's unpick satisfaction. All right, what does the word satisfaction actually mean? So for example, if you came back from holiday and somebody says, how, are you how was your holiday? Oh yeah, it was satisfactory. What are you really saying? Or 
if you have a satisfactory meal out how is that meal really or dare I say you know they're having the cuddle after you've done, been with your lover and they say how was it for you darling and you I don't know you puff on your cigarette or your cigar and yes it's been satisfactory not sure that's going to go so well folks so what I'm saying is what my argument really is the satisfaction is a very low bar um, it's kind of satisfactory means adequate or all right or acceptable or sufficient or passable or quite good or not too bad or average competent so for a hundred years organizational psychologists have been aiming to create organizations that are fair to middling where we've got satisfied employees and satisfied employees is all well and good if you're aiming for mediocrity I hope you're sitting down for this right so recently we've been seeing the rise and rise and rise and rise of what I call engagement now engagement is what I looked at in 2005 for, for 12 years and it's much higher it's a much higher workplace bar engagement if you think about what engagement is it, it's more connotated with words like absorption or immersion or enthrallment or captivation there's a sense of engrossment it's it's a higher energy place it's about being enraptured at work and it's it's um, there's a guy, uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, who talks about the state of flow. It's a psychological state of flow. It's when time flies and you're being challenged in just the way you like to be challenged. You're kind of super productive, super creative. You feel energized rather than depleted. That, folks, is your organization's competitive advantage because your customers catch it too. So after dealing with your team, uh, with your engaged team, your customers are going home talking about their experience. In the, in the modern world, they'll be sharing it online. There'll be a, a massive raving fans. Like I say, business business advantage right there. Now, engagement is what I've been studying, um, and like right up to my welly tops in engagement, picking out the best of the best teams. Um, and I'm not trying to diminish the superb work that most organisations already do. So there's lots of I've been to lots of workplaces where they're mouth watering. It's open plan. This co coffee machine's got pool tables. It, it's just like jaw dropping workplace where employees can take control of their days and they're allowed to think for themselves. And yet, folks, even in these jaw dropping environments, and I was in one just the other week, right? There are still in those jaw dropping environments employees who fail to engage. I'd say I was in an organisation last week that was probably one of the best I've ever been in. You walk in, um, it was incredible, right? And the boss, right, she was rolling her eyes because someone was complaining about the wrong kind of free Coke in the free fridge in the free kitchen next to the free table tennis table and the free comfy seats. Apparently, you know, Diet Coke and Original Coke are okay, but Zero was his drink of choice. You know what I'm saying? This links me and I did say this isn't probably going to be the funniest or the most entertaining or the softest landing of, of all the webinars that we're doing in season five, but this deep-rooted workplace problem that employee engagement, these feelings of aliveness and zest and vigour, that's in the head of each individual employee. A workplace that's been carefully crafted to be better than actually working at home is amazing and worthwhile, but it's only half the engagement story. Engagement, you see, is partly an internal construct, which basically means you have to come awake to life itself first. And that's the missing piece in most organisational development programmes, is wakey-wakey people. Thanks for listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell the world. A nice review would make our day.
day. That's the very best way of getting like-minded people to tune into our very simple messages about happiness and human flourishing. If you've hated it, please keep quiet. Remember the world has enough negativity already. So be a lover, not a hater. Feel free to check out our training and the little shop of happiness at artofbrilliance.co.uk. 